on behalf of RAC Theater Productions, I'd like to thank and welcome you all for being with us tonight. What many of you may not know is that this show is our Christmas show that we've done in the style of the 1940s radio show. I was here for the first radio show, and to be honest, I don't remember. You guys are the Radio Theater Institution, R-Act Theater Productions. R-Act has been in Beaver County for 27 years now, so we've been doing radio theater for most of our existence. My wife was in the audience, and she actually looked around and could not figure out who was talking, and it was me, because I actually did seven different voices for those characters. That's what I love about it, that the fact that you can change your voice. And I played a dummy. I, I played, which wasn't really hard. It wasn't hard at all. <laughs> No, actually, uh, I found that actually quite quite interesting. And then I, I, I had a really bad French accent for the other one. Yeah. I had the worst French accent ever. Hey. That's right. Well, we happen to have that recorded. Uh, so we can go back and verify uh, that bad accent. Just that how you bad had. my accent was. So I, in the RAC radio shows, I do boys. <laughs> so I can go down low. You know, for some reason, the directors think that this sounds like a boy, and I'm like, okay. <laughs> in the last show, not only was I a boy, but I also had to have an English accent. They're on board a train. There's a lot of noise going on, so we had to really figure out the best way to make train sound, which, by the way, is uh, sandpaper on wooden blocks. But timing that and getting the and, and getting that just right was so difficult. But the audience every every night would laugh and kind of ruin the sound cue because they just found the visual of me dropping a half-body dummy to the floor so funny. <laughs> because sometimes the recording changes what it sounds like live. But when you're doing that live, you got one chance at it. And if you screw it up, you know, you screwed it up. There's no you can't go, oh hold on, hold on, we're gonna we're gonna go back and and redo that body falling on the floor because that didn't sound right. You can't do that in a live show. <laughs> <laughs> the Radio Theater Podcast by the Social Voice Project. This is our sort of side project where we are promoting radio theater, which is a real passion of ours. This is a bygone art form. You know, there's a resurgence in radio theater. Some people call it radio drama, but it's, you know, it's performance art on microphones. So we have a resurgence largely due to the technology of podcasting. We did a couple shows last year. We're going to do some more. But you guys are the Radio Theater Institution. So we have here our act Theater Productions. And we have Shanti Bianco. Shanti, you're the president, right? I am. I'm currently serving as president at RAC Theater Productions in this transitional period of ours. Uh, we have been doing radio theater for over 20 years, right? And our act has been in Rochester and Beaver County for 27 years now, so... Uh, we've been doing radio theater for most of our existence, and every year we do one charity radio show at the end of the year for the holidays, and it's typically either a, tradition, a traditional holiday-feeling piece or something that people will recognize. We also have Carrie Lynn Hutch. Now, Carrie, you are a member of our act. You do mm -hmm. uh, media for our act. You manage the website and mm -hmm. Facebook and Twitter. Yeah, marketing. Uh, marketing, okay. Mm -hmm. and, but you're also a performer. A little bit, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I, I and, dab in it. Okay. And we have Larry Spinnenweber, one of the pioneers of our act, right? Larry, you've been with the, from the get-go, right? I came in two years after our act was founded. 
Have you been involved with the, the radio theater program? Yes, since the beginning of the radio shows. I want to hear about the early days. But speaking of the, 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 the newcomers, we have Kevin McGuire, who is here. Now, Kevin, you've been at a couple of shows, right? Radio yes. theater shows. Yes, for our act. I've been doing theater for since, I guess, the late 80s, early 90s. But then I had a 20-year uh, hiatus. Um, but um, I've been in Beaver County for a couple of years now, and I've been in two of the radio shows. And I, I just love it. I love it. I love that venue. It's, I think it's fantastic. And we've had a chance to work together. Uh, yes. On some some microphone work. Um, uh, yeah, we yeah, we all work together on the microphone. And the person I've worked with the most is Dave Hadawiko, who's one of the producers with us. But he also has experience with radio theater. Yeah, actually, I was a member of our act for many years and did two radio shows and started to direct one. And then, sadly, my mom got very sick and I had to drop out. But doing radio shows for an actor is I'll tell you what, it's completely different. And I'll, I'll let some of these guys get into it. But because you can't see the actor and you have to rely on your voice, you have to transmit the emotions that you would see in, in somebody's face through the, you know, through the actual microphone, which is, is hard for some people to do. Yeah, you know, this whole thing of radio, theater, radio drama, is it's really about theater of the mind. This is a genre of performance art that seems peculiar to us now. But because we have podcasting coming back, people are, are getting their ears back in shape. That's a weird way to put it. But people are, are actually listening to things now. They're listening to, you know, theater work as, as well as all the other stuff that's, you know, podcasting, what people had for lunch and all that sort of stuff. But this is, I, I think, the most challenging thing for theater folks. And it's been my experience working with actors. I'm not an actor, so maybe I'm unqualified to talk about this. But I know this. Actors who are stage trained or have stage experience often have a little bit of difficulty working with this really unnatural thing in front of your face, which is a microphone. For example, staying on mic, as we say, that's really important because the slightest bit of, um, you know, to the left or to the right or back away makes all the difference in the world in the volume that comes across, uh, you know, in the microphone. So when you're recording, which is what we do, very few radio theater programs are actually recorded, at least live stage, I should say. That makes all the difference in the world, that sort of presence on mic. And then to put the emotionality into it, that's a whole other thing, you know, because on the stage, you have to focus on projecting. And that's how do you mix your emotions uh, in, in that mix of or amplifying your voice so they can hear in the back of the theater. It's complicated, all this, I think. And so when I, my experience working with folks, the microphones, we have to do a little bit of readjusting. Uh, let's talk about our act right here, right now. So what is going on? with your current season. You have a radio theater show coming up in December. Yes, we are slated for our radio uh, show. Our annual holiday radio show will be Little Women this year. Exciting tidbit, there's gonna be a new Little Women movie this year. So we'll have free promotion in all of the movie theaters because you can go see the movie and then come hear our version of it. Oh, that's interesting. Yes. <laughs> um, how? <laughs> I'm not 100% sure what script we're using for Little Women. We are using the 1947-48 Lux Presents Hollywood adaptation, which was adapted from the MGM 1940s Little Women. So we are using that adaptation of the script. When I was doing a little um, preparing for this, I looked at your website and I was Googling you guys and trying to find out what was out there. What comes up over and over again is this focus on the 40s. 
that's your wellspring, right? The 1940s era. Well, the 1940s has sort of become the era because when we're looking for radio scripts, that was the heyday of the radio dramas. The scripts we're finding were written and performed in the 40s, so it's not a conscious, let's narrow in on the 40s. It's because that's where all the scripts were from. Knowing Larry as well as I do, Larry loves the 40s, too. He's he's a 40s type person. He really does. But myself looking for radio scripts for uh, the Social Voice Project, Larry's right. If you go to most of the sites that have the actual uh, scripts from from radio shows, they're from the 30s, 40s, and and some from the 50s, but very few. Most of your 50s radio shows are, surprisingly enough, were science fiction. It was a lot of science fiction radio shows in the 50s. Believe it or not, the 50 shows that were super popular, Dragnet, uh, I Love Lucy, Gunsmoke, Perry Mason, they all actually started out as radio shows. Adventures of Ozzie and Harriet was a radio show. Guiding Light, right? Well, joining us is Eric McAnallen. Thanks for coming, Eric. Oh, you're welcome. I just wanted to mention, we talked a little bit earlier about how you guys are really the radio theater group in Beaver County. But Eric, now you do radio theater work with a podcast that you do, Driftwood Dramatics. Uh, Yeah, Driftwood Dramatics. We do a a radio drama. I call them radio dramas, but mostly we do comedies. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Mostly because I have an odd sense of humor, and and that's more fun than than making people cry. So, (laughs) How many shows have you done, Eric? Uh, I think we've got uh, five live on our website, and we've recorded another six or so that I just haven't released yet. We started out mostly with uh, stuff I'd written, which is why we do mostly comedy, because I have an odd sense of humor. And we've kind of branched out into uh, other writers from uh, all over the U.S. Uh, I, I put out a call for scripts, and I was surprised at the, the amount of uh, response I got back. So I got quite a few uh, authors uh, offering me 10-minute, 20-minute pieces to, to use as uh, as radio dramas. Again, most of them comedy, some of them actually serious uh, dramas. Um, some of them are kind of fun. We, we did a recording session not too long ago, and I just need to sit down and, and do some editing, I guess. <laughs> yeah. As Orson Welles used to say, the magic is in the editing room. So the drawing on the 40s, right, Eric, you're drawing upon some contemporary stuff right now. Oh, yeah. What was, and, you're, and anyone just chime in on this. When you're doing stuff from the 40s, you, have, you find yourself, you have to sort of rephrase things. You have to, like, you can't call a couch a Davenport, right? Because who in the hell would understand what a Davenport is? You find that there's that sort of thing going on here? Well, any of the Lux Presents scripts that we've done, we haven't changed the dialogue. We've left them as they were written in the 40s. Yeah, we introduce our audience to go back to the bygone era and just, just be prepared for 1940s on the radio. And my head's like that gangster voice. Yeah. All right, see? Yeah. Oh. Absolutely. And I, and I grew fun. up hearing that piece of furniture called a Davenport, so I knew what it was. <laughs> you, know, you know what it is, yeah. Well, yeah. I, I think it adds to the magic of the moment. Some of our, our childhoods and, and, you know, obviously from before some of us were born, but uh, it, it adds to the magic of the moment um, to hear things that we don't normally hear in, in modern speech. Yeah. So last year's show was A Christmas Carol. Now, that's certainly not 1940s. For a while in the mid to late 30s, it was a tradition, and I don't know what radio company or what station did it, but it was a tradition that every Christmas Eve they would do a live half-hour adaptation of A Christmas Carol with Lionel Barrymore as Scrooge. 
and that was a yearly tradition until his health interfered with that. He had he had arthritis very badly, and that kind of interfered with his performing regularly, which is why your trivia for the day, Mr. Potter in It's a Wonderful Life, is in a wheelchair. Oh, really? I knew there was a reason we had you on here. <laughs> so you guys are doing Little Women this year, A Christmas Carol last year. Before that was I'll Be Seeing You. That was a wonderful show. I love the music. The year before that, 2016, what'd you do? I can't find it. Meet Me in St. Louis. Meet Me in St. Louis. Yeah, it was a musical uh, radio show. So not just the script, but also the music. Wow. I'm sorry I missed that. Yeah. 2015 was The Shop Around the Corner. Yes. We lost the recording for that one, unfortunately. So if you didn't see it live, you missed out. It was a really fun production. Well, I wanted to talk about that, uh, the recordings. Because, okay, so I'm, I'm preparing for this, and I'm like, well, what, what have they done? I went to the website, and these are the things that I pulled up on the website. 2014, Three Men and a Child is Born. Uh, 2013 was The Bishop's Wife. Uh, beyond that, I, there, I, there seems to be a black hole. <laughs> I don't know what you did. It's before our website. <laughs> yeah, 2014 is when I got involved with our act. That was actually my first show with our act was uh, uh, A Child is Born and uh, it was what? Three, three men. Three men. Right. I, I played a child. Yeah, I mean, I mean, you, you listen to me talk and I've got this uh, deep baritone voice and I had to play a, a you know, a, a prepubescent uh, thief in one of the shows yeah. was that difficult no actually uh <laughs> i found that actually quite quite interesting quite fun uh, and then I, I i had a really bad french accent for the other one yeah. <laughs> i had the worst french accent ever hey. that's right that's right you were on the train yeah well we happen to have that recorded <laughs> so we can go back and verify uh, that bad accent just how bad made. my accent was <laughs> that's right. i think i think my child was okay but my french uh, really needs some work yeah, I think that was our first interaction, Kevin. That was the first interaction you and I had was when you came in to record that because you had heard we, our act was doing a radio show about soldiers and that's, that was what piqued your interest. And so, yeah, that was what introduced our act to uh, the social voice and Kevin. That's right. I love that. I came in, recorded that and... Oh boy, I tell you, we've come a long way since since that kind of uh, thing. So I'm going to jump in right here. And, and when I was a member, I was in Miracle on 34th Street, and I played seven different characters. Was that the, the radio show? <laughs> radio show. What I year played, was that? That was, would have been the year before The Bishop's Wife. So I played seven different characters. Some of them only had a line or two. But my wife was in the audience, and she actually looked around and could not figure out who was talking. And it was me because I actually did different, seven different voices for those characters. You want to talk about trying to remember which voice you did for which character? Uh, it, and it, Mike Nelson actually directed that. And it actually, I mean, it worked. We, it was such a large cast. I think, Larry, you were in it. It was a huge, I mean, if we would have went with all the people we needed, we would have had five rows of people. So that's one of the things about radio shows too. You can play multiple characters because they don't see you, you know, it, the voice can be changed. And I mean, uh, most of these people are very good at changing their voices, so. Traditionally, that's, that's how radio theater was done. I mean, with a small cast uh, on the fly, people had to do lots of voices. Orson Welles was a master of that, of course. When you listen to the interviews with the old radio actors, they often talk about how that was a lot of fun for them. And a challenge. So yeah, they had a small crew. They did a lot of lot of voices, and I don't know how you guys do it, honestly. But it's just amazing that you, that you can pull that off. So Dave, that was in 2012. You did that play. Well, you you throw into that the fact that we're doing it live in front of an audience. So 
not only are you changing your voice, but the audience is watching you do it, which adds, again, a, another level of, of magic to it because they can actually see the actor's process in switching from one voice to another, you know, sometimes on the same page. You know, it, it, I think that that is so fascinating as an audience member to be able to sit and watch that sort of thing. And, and I think doing it in front of a live audience really does you know, you can listen to it, sure, like as a podcast or online or whatever, but it, it's not quite the same as watching the actors do it. Oh, I agree with Mac. Like I said, my wife was in the audience and she she did not know it was me until she looked around to see that I was the one speaking on the microphone. Because, I mean, you change your voice so much. And Mac, I know Mac has done it in numerous shows and all of us actually that have done it on stage a lot have changed Radio show is a challenge. And for an actor, it's a good challenge. Kevin McGuire, what are your thoughts on changing up your um, voice? I, that's what I love about it, that the fact that you can change your voice. I mean, I, we just got done doing uh, Knock em Dead, which Eric directed. And, and I played basically three different parts. I played a dummy. He means ventriloquist <laughs> dummy. <laughs> But I, I played a, a, a police officer, uh, oh, that a, a yeah, detective, as a ventriloquist, you know, scoping out this show because we wanted to arrest somebody. And then I played the detective. So I actually did three different voices. And it was, I mean, it, I loved it. I love doing that. I love changing my voice. I love, you know, I remember the old uh, Don Adams, Get Smart. And did you know that Don Adams also did the voice of Tennessee Tuxedo, the cartoon. So he had that, okay, Chumley, it's time to go see Mr. Whoopi. <laughs> and he had that same voice as Don Adams as, as Get Smart. You know, he had that, would you believe? He started in radio, I believe. Carrie, how about you? Uh, any voice um, challenges that you find? Um, so I, in the RAC radio shows, I do boys. <laughs> <laughs> So I can go down low, you know, for some reason the directors think that this sounds like a boy and I'm like, okay, <laughs> this sounds like a boy, but you know, they direct me, you know, and trying to change my voice up. In the last show, not only was I a boy, but I also had to have an English accent. So that was a challenge for me. And also as a challenge, I'm regularly not a performer. So having a script, you know, really helps me. It's my little security blanket. And I think that's why a lot of people come and audition for the radio shows because there's less pressure for memorizing lines. So me as a novice, that really, you know, attracts me to the radio show. Um, I actually did one small little performance when I was younger. And this was in my house with my sister recording me. She interviewed me, and I was my, my maternal grandmother and my paternal grandmother. And they both have different voices. One's a little meek and quiet and, you know, your typical grandmother. And then I had another grandmother who was from the South, and she was a former physical education teacher. So she had her Southern accent, and she was loud and boisterous and, you know, kiss my grits and all that stuff. And I actually, we recorded it, and I presented it to my older brother, and I said I want to show, you know, my sister loved it, and, and I think they found it offensive. <laughs> and they're like, I don't think so. <laughs> I think I character, or, you know, caricatized them so much 
But I thought it was a great performance, and so did my sister. <laughs> so that was my first like actual recording of characters. And then here, they like me as a boy. So I actually would like to audition for Little Women, and maybe I'll get a woman part this year. <laughs> <laughs> We're rooting for you. <laughs> Thanks. So I have a question, okay? And this is, and we talked about scripts, and, and Carrie just talked about scripts, and we love the fact that we can just read radio shows. I know Mac has done it and Larry ha has done it. You've adapted shows, normal shows that you wrote and turned them into radio shows, right, Mac? Yes. What is the challenge between you two guys to turn a normal script into a radio show? I think uh, the biggest challenge for me is that a lot of my humor tends to be visual. I like like vaudevillian slapstick and ridiculous situations that are based on visual cues. And you can't do that real well over radio. You've got to deliver the punchline entirely with dialogue. Sometimes you could look at a script and go, this script is hilarious. I can't do this as a radio show because the audience, unless I have a narrator go, and then he slipped and fell, <laughs> you know, <laughs> which, which kind of, defeats the purpose. Yeah, it really does. I mean, I mean, yeah, I know they used to do that. They'd have a narrator, you know, would, would fill in some of the action, but I find that when you do that, it's not nearly as interesting as being able to, to do it with dialogue, you know? Well, such, such is the challenge of audio only work. So what helps are sound effects. Oh right? yeah. The, the Foley work. I mean, you know, you can do the yeah, all that sort of stuff. Okay, Larry, I'll let you explain what Foley work is, since some of our <laughs> listeners probably don't know what Foley work is. Well, Foley work is your sound effects. You're doing live sound effects. And I was going to make a comment that, yes, a lot of physical comedy can't be done on radio. Certain bits, however, you can do if you go into the sound effects. And I'm thinking of the old comedy series Fibber McGee and Molly, where they had a running gag of opening Fibber's closet and everything falls out of the closet. And you didn't even have to see it. You just knew when he mentions the closet and then you hear the sound effect that he's opened this avalanche of junk out of the closet. And how that was made, there was a literally a bunch of junk pots, pans, balls, bat, whatever, cascading down a little chute. And they had that on microphone. It was like a bunch of stuff coming out of the, out of the closet. Now, Shanta, you have, you have experience doing Foley work. Yes, for our act. That's actually the first audition that I came to, which was for um, A Child is Born and Three Men. I was only interested in helping out with the live uh, sound effects. So that's what I came into the auditions with the intention of meeting the director and, and introducing myself and offering my assistance there. I ended up getting cast in, in one of the two plays, and so I was able to do the sound effects for the other play. So during the three men, they're on board a train. There's a lot of noise going on. So we had to really figure out the best way to make train sound, which by the way is uh, sandpaper on wooden blocks. Um, and then also there's luggage sound where they have to set their bags up on the um, luggage racks or the compartment door opening and closing. And so we wanted to do as much li live sound effects as possible in that production. And so you really have to just sit at home and bang pans together and, and cling this metal to this wood and try and see which sounds the most like the sound you're trying to get. And then fit it all on one table in the side of the room and, and perform those effects live. And, and make sure that those sounds sound realistic on a recording, yes. because sometimes the recording changes what it sounds like live. 
Yeah, that brings me back to something, Eric, then you said about um, performing this stuff on a stage where you have people looking at you, right? So, you know, I, I like to say that you have to sort of split the difference between, you know, what you're producing on these microphones and what the audience is seeing. To me, I just think it's weird to watch people stand in a microphone doing stuff. It's weird, I think. Uh, all the more people can as, pull it off. As it's we great. stand here talking at microphones. <laughs> <I> know, <right>? <laughs> <laughs> This is just like radio, radio theater here. Everyone's around stand-up microphones. But so when you have sound effects, right? Boy, if you can create that live in the moment, and if you don't pull it off, wow. I mean, the audience will probably get it, but, but it's people listening through the recording might say, that doesn't sound like thunder. That sounds like a piece of metal just rattling around, you know? Yeah. My absolute favorite sound effect was during the shop around the corner. Um, there is a scene, there is actually two scenes where a body has to hit the floor. One, where the woman faints and she's caught, but there's still a bit of a thud. And the other, where the man punches the other man and knocks him out. So creating this sound effect required me to build essentially a half a body dummy so that I could have the noise of a body hitting the floor. And then we had to time it perfectly with somebody punching a rubber ball so it sounded like a, a good punch to the face and a hit to the floor. But timing that and getting the and, and getting that just right was so difficult. But the audience every every night would laugh and kind of ruin the sound cue because they just found the visual of me dropping a half body dummy to the floor so funny. Sometimes the visuals of, of the sound effects themselves because some of the stuff we use to make sound effects on, on radio shows are just weird. Yeah. I mean, it really is. I mean, it, some good places to go. There are some videos on YouTube showing actually a Disney sound effects people when they did cartoons and radio show people. And some of the things they use to make sound and you look at it and you say, well, that doesn't look like it would do any. And then you listen to it and without the visual and say, wow, that does sound exactly like, you know, and I think I think what what happened is we've lost that art. We really have. I mean, we've rediscovered it. Kevin, you and I have rediscovered it in some of the shows we do. Uh, our act has rediscovered it. But we've lost that because we've become a digital world. And everybody just goes online and says, well, I can find an explosion. I don't have to make it. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's that's the difference between like what our act does with the live radio show and, and what I do at Driftwood, where I, I don't record my own Foley. And if and if I do record it, I've got the opportunity to sit and tweak it with my editing program to get it to the right pitch, to the right length, to the right volume. But when you're doing that live, you've got one chance at it. And if you screw it up, you know, you screwed it up. There's no you can't go, oh, hold on, hold on. We're going to we're going to go back and, and redo that body falling on the floor because that didn't sound right. You can't do that in a live show. The audience don't laugh at that. Yeah, that's, that's right. In my work, I found um, when I record the live shows, some of those live effects just don't come across, whether it's a volume issue or it's a, just the, the, the darn thing technologically didn't sound like thunder. It sounded like a metal plate or something. So I maybe overdub or I would add in stuff to the final, you know, the recorded production. I think it works by and large, but yeah, it's, it's a lot of finessing. It's a lot of fooling around with it and creating this artifice. You know, I think it was Orson Welles who said that um, he really always wanted to have on the recordings that live vibe, right? So, if, you know, if people were off mic a little bit, they were off mic. Uh, if the sound effects were such and such, that's the way they were. He thought that that added a theater-esque kind of quality to the radio experience. Would you guys agree that that's, that's still pretty important? I mean, that's definitely one of the things that I strive for when, we're, when we start to produce a show is to just try and, in, I mean, 
obviously it's to include as many people as possible. We want as many volunteers and people who are interested in trying out theater to come to auditions. So we want to make sure there's positions for them. So if we, if we have five people on the Foley table, we have five people on the Foley table. But it also, it does, it creates that real human quality of, of radio theater rather than being just a recording from a movie or, or in, it, it essentially in, incredibly edited audio. It, it is live and you do have the mistakes, you do have the audience laughter and it just makes you visualize it a little bit better because you can hear the shoe squeaks on the floor and you can hear the, you know, the sneezes and you realize it's real people there. Right. When you listen to the old radio shows, um, most of them were recorded before a live audience. Fibber McGee, often live audience. They did a little bit of studio work towards the end there, but mostly it was was live. So you could hear the audience participate in that. You hear the laughters, you can hear them rustling around. Dave, you've been an advocate for having the Foley stage really as as a, a part of the acting well, I really think it is. I think, and, and I'm, I'm sure most of you would agree, people watch how you make the sound effects. I mean, just like Shanti said, people laugh because she dropped half a body. Well, I mean, in, in the last show, I, I helped run sound for, for us, and they had actual tire chains up there for the ghosts and things. I mean, these people are working with everyday things to make sound. And to the average person in the audience, they're saying, well, what's he doing with a tire chain? Until they hear it, and then they say, oh, now it makes sense. Have you guys ever had instruments in a band on stage, like an orchestra? Nothing really more than a piano to my recollection. Um, I believe in... I believe in Meet Me in St. Louis, didn't we have a violin player as well as the piano? Hmm. I'm not 100% sure, actually. Yeah. <laughs> I have I to check the recording on that a one. violin player. <laughs> really? I remember discussing it, so perhaps yes. it, it was something that maybe didn't happen, or it perhaps did, but I know that there was a lot of music in that show, and there was a lot of piano. I think it was just somebody doing the sound effects for violin, Larry. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody on the Foley table. Larry, are you getting old and the memory is gone? <laughs> so, you know, we are here in Merrick Art Gallery, and I, and I should say that all of your shows, 20 years of your shows, have been done right here. Is that right? Yes. To my recollection, yes. <laughs> yeah, and this is this is a really peculiar space. It's a lovely space. So we're in the Grand Hall of Merrick Art Gallery. It's this long, long room, narrow, with paintings up the walls like the old salon style. So to pack 90 people into this room with a stage at one end has got to be a real challenge. Talk a little bit about this space here and what it's been like to work radio theater here. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll chime in. I mean, I don't, I've only really done four radio shows with our act because that's as long as I've been with our act. But the one thing I really love about performing at the Merrick is the nostalgia of the building itself. It's a very old Victorian building. And it's fully decorated every year in the holidays to the nines. You have red bows everywhere, greenery everywhere, twinkling lights. And so that first weekend in December, when you come in to perform the show, you just get that feel of the season. You get ready to really celebrate the season and and snuggle down with your friends and family. And coming in and and doing this show here, I think, really adds to the ambiance of the performance. What the room does, it cuts down the amount of people you can actually use. You have a space that's, what, about 20 foot wide, and, I mean, you start to get more than two rows of chairs, you're walking into each other. Because people have to make it to the microphones, we only have three to four microphones to, to talk. So what it does, it makes you think more, when you're, when you're casting for sure, 
of who you're going to cast and what parts they can do. Because there are people that can't, like Mac can do multiple voices. I know Larry can, I can. But you get a new actor in, it's their first time, you're, they're, they're starting because they want to do, you know, they can read, right? They can read a radio show. You can't cast him in four or five different parts and expect him to keep the, the voices straight and change their voice. So casting becomes part of it. Setting becomes part of it. Where are you going to put the Foley table? Where does it sound? And Kevin, even even you, when you record it, we have to figure out where the speakers are going to go so the audience can hear it. And and so it is a challenge. This space is a challenge. But as Shanti said, it's a beautiful space in, at Christmas time. How did you guys um, develop this relationship doing it here with Merrick? I was here for the first radio show. And to be honest, I don't remember how we connected with Merrick. But we were... We wanted to do an, another show. We wanted to do a Christmas production. It's a Wonderful Life came up as the show we wanted to do, but physically, sets, costumes, a performance venue, all of that was a little much, and someone got the idea, well, it was done as a radio adaptation, let's do that. And in the course of putting that together, someone contacted Merrick, and that began our tradition of doing the shows here. As part of that tradition, you guys do this for charity. From the beginning, we have done it as a, as a charity production that any profit we make, and most of what we bring at the door is profit because we have very little, if any, expenditures on the show. And we've always given that back. Throughout the year, the community supports us and our productions. This is our chance to give back to the community and each year by tradition the director chooses what organization he or she would like to donate the proceeds to oh that's how that works huh the year i i started directing the show and i had to drop out of because of my mother's illness i picked toys for tots we've always picked as long as i've been associated with our act we've always picked great organizations in the valley we try to keep all the money in the valley uh, last year, what? It was the Merrick itself, right? Yeah, we, we were finally able to give back all of our ticket proceeds directly to the Merrick um, for graciously hosting us for 20 years. We, they have been trying to build their parking lot, and we just wanted to do all we could to just finish that project for them. So that was, that was exciting that we were able to give back to them last year. Uh, previous years, we've given to Meals on Wheels, the Mental Health Association, Beaver County Cancer Association. Yeah. Um, Humane Society. The Be yeah, the Beaver County Humane Society. The uh, What was the... Beaver the, County Libraries. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the libraries system. And then even something with children. I think it was the... Uh, One of the children's hospitals someplace, it seems to me. I that, remember. That sounds yeah. familiar, too. So it's always been a really, um, a really good part of the production is that we know that we're not making this money for us. We're not selling these tickets for us. They're going to a charitable organization. And like Larry said, it's a really great opportunity for us to give back. Yeah, you know, the charitable work is awesome. You guys do an awesome job in the performances, and you have quite a following because of this, right? You have people, Larry. Do you see the same faces uh, from twenty years ago coming? <laughs> We're often told that this is um, people's annual holiday tradition. It, it kicks off their their Christmas season to come to this show, and while yes, it's a month, a week after the Black Friday sales, this is really what starts it for them in their hearts and minds. And it has become, for the New Brighton Historical Society, they will buy a block of tickets, and that is their holiday party to come see our production and hang out at the reception afterwards. 
So that's become their party, holiday party tradition to come see the show. So let's talk a little bit about if someone wants to get involved with radio theater, how do they get a hold of you all? Well, for our act, Theater Productions Radio Theater, we hold auditions annually, typically um, right around Halloween. Um, so to fi- be notified of those auditions, your best bet is to find us on Facebook and like us at Our Act Theater Productions on Facebook or find our website, ouractheaterproductions.com. We're also posting in the paper every time we have auditions. Someone has an opportunity to be involved with the acting or the tech side of things, right? Any experience necessary? Oh, no. We, we take people from any level of experience. That's actually a big part of what our act is. Uh, as a community theater organization, we want anybody with any inkling to participate in community theater to come and, and show up at one of our auditions or one of our meetings and volunteer in, in any capacity they're interested in. Even if you just want to work the door and you know take people's money at the box office, that's still a great opportunity for you to come and get involved. This last Christmas, we had four people working our Foley table. None of them had ever done sound effects for a radio drama before. So this was their first time. And to have the four of them plus a keyboard player and they were all in sync to the cues. So you don't need the experience, just the willingness to throw yourself in and learn. So I'll tell you how I got involved in our act. I hadn't done theater since high school, which had been almost 35 years before. I always always maintained an interest and, and really wanted to, to do theater. And I got a call from Amy Van Winkle, who used to is a member of our act and used to be president. And at the time, our act was in a really low point in their history and only had about five active, active members. So they were doing a radio show and they only had they, they needed to cast about 12 or something and, and they had like five. So Amy called me and said, hey, would you be interested in coming to do? No, well, I hadn't done theater, like I said, in 30 years. So I, I, I'm thinking radio show. All I have to do is read. Well, that's no problem. And again, I played three or four characters in that show, which I hadn't acted in years. And it re-sparked my interest. And, and I will tell you, there are a lot of people that have gotten involved in radio shows and they end up doing regular shows like I did. So it's your way to, and I know Kevin, you, that's how you, you got involved in the regular shows and then you went into radio shows. Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, I mean, that's how I found out about our act too, was online and then, uh, uh, auditioned for the I'll be seeing you show and, uh, I, I just, I, I mean, I just fell in love with that. I mean, I've always, I was a DJ years ago for a small station in Lawrence County, and uh, that love of radio, it was sparked then. And to have an opportunity, you know, to move to Beaver County two years ago and suddenly have this kind of opportunity, not only the acting, but the, the radio show, it's just fantastic to me. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm in love with it. This, this group of people, and I've been involved in them one way or another for many years, our act is the most welcoming group I've been involved with, with as far as theater. A lot of time, and I'm not speaking bad of anybody, but a lot of times you get a clique of people in a, in a theater group, and that's who is on stage all the time. Not here. If you come and you want a part in the radio show, or they think you're, you're, you know, you're capable of doing a part in a normal show, they're going to cast you. Yeah, definitely. That's... That's something that I'm really proud of. I'm, I'm proud that people like Kevin can come come back to Beaver County and and find a home at our act. 
it, you know, there may not be a part for you in every single production we do. I mean, we do six shows a year, including the radio show. So you never know what kind of parts we're going to cast for. But I often tell people, if you're at all interested in community theater or just being involved in something that's a little bit more theatrical and dramatic, why not audition for the radio show? It's kind of like dipping your big toe in just to see how the water is. You don't have to memorize your lines. There's no blocking. There's no costumes. It's entirely based on your voice. And I've had so much fun in every production I've been involved in. I, I, I wouldn't trade it for the world. That's what I think is very evident that you guys have a lot of fun. I mean, you take your acting seriously, no doubt, but you have a lot of fun at the show. The audience certainly loves it. Your commercials, uh, done in the old radio style, right? The 40s, the uh, commercials narrated, a lot of fun. You know, we have that recorded. You listen to those recordings, the, the, the crowd is just, you know, there's laughter and hilarity around it. So I want to thank all of you for being on TSVP's Radio Theater Podcast. We certainly want to invite you guys back anytime. You want to talk about radio theater, you want to talk about performance side of it, tech side of it, you know, that's why we do this, right? This little side project of ours, of course, but we're open to promoting and supporting and celebrating local theater, especially this radio theater that we have. So Shanti Bianco, thank you. Eric McAnallen, Carrie Lynn Hutch, Larry Spinnenweber, Kevin McGuire, Dave Halawiko. Thank you all for being on the podcast. marks our 20th year of performing our holiday radio shows. Before we get started, one of the things I want to do is I want to give a shout out to my wonderful sound effects crew. You are listening to a production of the Social Voice Podcast Network.